Welcome back to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Welcome back for another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Today I'm joined by Ezra Thompson. How you doing, Ezra? I'm good. How are you? Busy. Life is good. Um, we're recording this right around Christmas time of 2022, so I think I've got all my Christmas shopping done. Okay, I haven't started. You haven't started? I haven't started. Wow. It's great to be a kid, isn't it? <laughs> I don't have enough money to buy gifts, so I gotta get the money first. Uh, parents' credit card? Gotcha. Okay. Well, I think I'm almost done. There's just one more thing I have to get my wife, and after that I'll be pretty much done. So um, what I'm really tired of is making snickerdoodles, truthfully, but don't tell anybody I said that. Okay. Not very much holiday cheer, but, no. yeah, I make a pretty mean snickerdoodle, and most of my friends like them. But So I spent three hours last night cooking, and I'll probably spend four hours this tonight making more snickerdoodles. So I have quite the treat for you today, Ezra. I saved a couple of my snickerdoodles, my county-wide famous snickerdoodles. Save some for me? Yep. So here you go. Enjoy. If y'all don't mind, Ezra and I are going to eat some snickerdoodles while we record today's podcast. Mm. I'm sure it won't make a difference when we're talking, will it? That is good. I do like it. All right. We got one person vouching for it, that it's good. I guess the rest of you just have to take our word for it. So today, Ezra, we're going to be discussing the beginnings of the colony of Georgia, which makes sense since we live in Georgia. Okay. First of all, Georgia was the last of the 13 colonies to be founded. It was established in 1732 by General James Oglethorpe. Um, One of the first settlements, most famously, is known as uh, Savannah, and that was established in 1733. So can you tell me a little bit more about um, the founding of Georgia? Okay, so Georgia was the last of the original 13 colonies. It was the only one founded in the 18th century, and it's named for King George II of England. The reason Georgia was founded is really twofold. One is a buffer colony. By the time we get to the 1730s, the Carolinas and Virginia have become very profitable through tobacco. So England is worried about the Spanish in Florida. They're worried about Native Americans attacking and raiding their profitable tobacco plantations in the Carolinas. So Georgia has created, one, as a buffer colony to prevent that from happening, and two, as a way to relieve the overcrowded prisons back in London. Okay. Um, in the 18th century, you could go to jail for debt. didn't just ruin your credit like it does today. They actually arrested you and put you in jail. So by the 1730s, London has a severe problem in its prisons with overcrowding due to too many people being in debt. So those people, were, a lot of them were taken and brought over here to Georgia to, one, decrease the jailed population in London, and two, provide a buffer between the Carolinas and natives in Spanish. Okay. And I heard there were, there were some restrictions going on in Georgia. One of the problems by the time we get to this time in the Carolinas is you basically have a few wealthy landowners, and then everybody else is either enslaved or indentured or poor. Mm-hmm. So there's really no middle class to speak of. It's a couple of wealthy people and the vast majority of people are, are living in poverty. So the idea behind it is in Georgia, when they found the colony of Georgia, is they're going to try to limit the size of the farms, like yeoman farmers or small farmers, mm-hmm. so they have more of a middle class. And 
Oglethorpe himself was anti-slavery, so slavery itself was banned and alcohol was prohibited originally. You're telling me slavery was banned in Georgia? Originally, and, and at the very beginning in the 1730s, but as you'll see when we come back from break, we're going to talk about slavery and the Great Awakening, and we'll talk about that evolution when we come back from break. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song, keeps Georgia on my mind. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that short break. 
So in this section, we're going to be discussing slavery and the Great Awakening in Georgia. So if you remember, the colony of Georgia was founded under James Oglethorpe, who was anti-slavery, and slavery was actually banned in 1735, which Georgia was the only colony at that point to actually ban slavery. Ezra, what happened, because obviously slavery is alive and well in Georgia later on, so what happens between 1735 up and through the revolutionary period? So yes, in the beginning, slavery was banned in Georgia, but um, there were there were arguments for slavery. This this was partially due to George Whitfield's support for the institution for, of slavery. And a little bit more about that in a second. Who's George Whitfield? So he was one of the most popular preachers during the American Great Awakening, and he was one of the founders of the Methodist movement, along with John and Charles Wesley. Okay, and you remember the Great Awakening comes through the colonies in the 30s and 40s, which mm-hmm. is the same time Georgia's getting started. Yes. But what about Whitfield himself? Where, was, where did he stand personally on the issue of slavery? So he was actually the, um, a plantation owner, and he held slaves himself. So, so the preacher was the, a plantation the, the owner? Preacher, the preacher, the the mo- one of the most famous preachers during the Great Awakening. He was an advocate for slavery. So if, if you go back to Georgia or any southern colony in the 1730s and 40s, if you went to a church sermon, it wasn't like slavery was the elephant in the room nobody talked about. Slavery was discussed regularly on just about any Sunday sermon. And if you go back to the Old Testament of the Bible, there are dozens of references passages to slavery and if you look at the old testament nowhere in there does the bible talk about ending slavery quite the opposite it talks about being a good slave owner being a good slave Mm -hmm. so so it wasn't like these preachers like whitfield and others just didn't mention slavery they mentioned it but they would use scripture of the bible to support the institution of slavery as a good for white and black and for in this case, the colony of Georgia. Exactly. So, th- in other words, they're, they're, these are pro-slavery arguments being made by religious leaders, not anti-slavery arguments. So, like, like we mentioned in the previous part, Georgia was restricted to small farms, and but you know the southern colonies are, their economy is built off of the agriculture. So Cash crops. Yes. So um, this this would lead to arguments for slavery intensifying during the ni- during the 1740s, and this would follow um, the Spanish defeat by Georgia. Can you tell me a little bit more about this Spanish invasion? Well, if you remember, Georgia was founded as a buffer colony. Yes. And during the 1740s, Spain did in fact invade, trying to get to the Carolinas, and they were defeated in Georgia. So they actually never made it during the 1740s. So during this time, Oglethorpe is still there, Whitfield and other leaders are there, and there's kind of a movement within Georgia of the future of the colony. Well, by 1750, it becomes clear that Oglethorpe and the anti-slavery people are not going to win out. Mm Mm-hmm. So Oglethorpe himself leaves in 1750. He leaves. He, he's generally considered the first governor of Georgia, although he is never officially a governor. He was what they call a trustee. So by 1750, he leaves the board of trustees and returns back to England in 1750. And then what happens in 51 with slavery and the laws in Georgia? What, what do they do after Oglethorpe leaves? So Oglethorpe leaves, and he becomes a member of parliament in England. He's no longer in control of what's going on in Georgia. While many people are supporting slavery, 
it was legalized in 1751. By law. By law. If you remember, this is 1751. By then, tobacco has been around for almost 150 years. But now, in the 1700s, cotton is king. Cotton has recently surpassed tobacco as the number one cash crop coming out of the South. Well, Georgia is very, very profitable with cotton. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many areas in Georgia, including the one we live in, as late as as the 1800s, Catweta County was a big cotton-raising, cotton community. So these plantations become dependent by 1751 on slave labor, and it becomes the law. So the anti-slavery folks like Oglethorpe and others lose out. Slaves were needed to staff plantations and support the agriculture in Georgia. Later on, just a year later, in uh, 1752, Georgia became an official royal colony. This allowed slaves to be imported directly from Africa. So they were making money by then. Exactly. Very profitable. So the idea of small farms, banning slavery, no alcohol, it kind of went out the window, the need to make money. And remember, capitalism is not born yet, but Georgia's part of England's mercantilistic system, Mm -hmm. which is basically the colonies exist to benefit the mother country. So they don't benefit the mother country if they're made up of a bunch of small farmers and slavery is banned. England benefits more by larger plantation and slavery alive and well because the cotton industry thrives, which makes England more money. And it, it, does, it doesn't just stop there. Georgia was actually the birthplace of the cotton gin. What? I thought Eli Whitney invented that. He, he, was, he was a Massachusetts boy. Yeah, that's what I thought. But that's, that's nowhere near Georgia. No, but he, he resided in Georgia at the time. But the birthplace of the cotton gin was actually in Georgia. Okay. So he's from Massachusetts. Yes, correct. But he obviously had experience, so he came down here and used the cotton farms on Georgia plantation to develop the technology. He's an inventor. Yeah. Gotcha. The the need for slaves isn't as great in Massachusetts, so I guess. Yeah. Most people think that slavery has been banned in Massachusetts. It hasn't by 1750s. Slavery is it may not be instituted in Massachusetts, but it's not banned by 1750s. So the, the cotton gin, it, it led to um, cotton as a cash crop to grow even more rapidly. At, at this point, slave labor, the slave labor system in America, in the southern states, I should say, is, um, has really mobilized. Well entrenched. Mm-hmm. So, so if we're looking at the history of slavery in Georgia, Georgia was founded in 1730s. In 1740s, slavery really has its roots. But there's this movement to bring slavery to Georgia, and there's movement against slavery in Georgia. By 1751, the pro-slavery people have won that movement. Basically, slavery itself goes back to the 40s in Georgia, and then by the 50s, it's well entrenched. And then slavery would would continue to exist throughout the Revolution, throughout the, the Civil War, and it wouldn't officially be abolished until... The 13th Amendment took effect. December 18th, 1865 is when that was ratified. ratified. Well, what about Georgia? When did slavery in Georgia officially end? It, um, in July of 1868, Georgia readmitted to the Union, which meant they had to, they had to abide by the Constitution and had to follow the amendments. So they had to accept the 13th Amendment? Yes. And the 14th Amendment, which says not only is slavery over, but the ex-slaves are full citizens mm-hmm. of the United States. Correct. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's take one more short break so Ezra and I can finish our snickerdoodles yeah. so we don't have to eat in your ear anymore. And we'll be right back.
went down to Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet and you're going to regret because I'm the best as ever been. Johnny, you're awesome up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Cause hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle made of gold. But if you lose, the devil gets your soul. up his case and he said I'll start this show and fire flew from his fingertips as he rosined up his bow and he pulled the bow across the strings and it made an evil hiss and then a band of demons joined in and it sounded something like this Johnny said, well, you're pretty good, old son, but sit down in that chair right there and let me show you how it's done. Fire on the mountain, run, boys, run. The devil's in the house of the rising sun. Chicken in the bread pan, picking out dough. Granny, let your dog bite, no child, no. devil bowed his head because he knew that he'd been beat and he laid that golden fiddle on the ground at Johnny's feet. Johnny said, devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. I done told you once, you son of a bitch, I'm the best as ever been. He played fire on the mountain, run, boys, run. Devil's in the house of the rising sun. But you can get the bread better picking out dough. Granted, we don't fight no child, no. All right, welcome back. We're going to get even deeper into this History of Georgia podcast, and we're going to get into the revolution. So, Governor James Wright, he's the governor of Georgia, and he's the governor of Georgia from April of 1761 all the way up through the revolution. Can you tell me a little bit more about Governor James Wright? Yes, Governor Wright was very popular in Georgia. Um, Remember, in 1761, this is towards the end of the French and Indian War, and the colonists are fighting with, not against the British. They're all British. And the colonists and the British defeated the French and the Indians in this war. So 
Governor Wright is British like everyone else, and he's very popular. And he stays loyal to Britain through the entire revolutionary period. So as a result of that, Georgia is the last colony to officially join the revolution because of Wright's leadership and his popularity in the state. So so Wright doesn't want to – he's loyal to – to England, and he doesn't want to get involved. He wants to keep Georgia in the English Empire, correct. Okay. So throughout the 60s, remember all the Sons of Liberty and a lot of the rebellions against taxes and that kind of stuff? Georgia really set that out. As late as 73 in the Tea Party, Georgia still is not actively involved in the revolution. And then in 74, they decide to get together for the first time at the First Continental Congress. Georgia doesn't send any delegates. There's only 12 of the 13. So so Governor Wright, he's not very popular amongst the, the patriots. No, not amongst the patriots. And as the 60s and 70s rolls on, the, in Georgia, it becomes kind of a battle within Georgia between the loyalists or Tories mm-hmm. and the patriots, which direction Georgia is going to go. So what winds up happening is by July of 75, now keep in mind, July of 75 is after the Second Second Continental Congress reconvenes. It's after Lexington and Concord. So technically the war has already started and Georgia is still not a part of the 13 colonies. By July of 75, a provincial Congress was elected in the state of Georgia to oppose royal authority or Governor Wright directly. Okay. What they wind up doing is, is Governor Wright is arrested in January of 76 and briefly detained by a group of patriots. So he really wasn't popular. Not amongst the patriots. And what's happened by the time we get to 76 at this period, people have started to die. Not only did you have the Boston Massacre in 1770, the Tea Party in 73, now you've had Lexington and Concord, you've had Bunker Hill. So people have started to die, so battle lines are being drawn. Mm-hmm which means even in Georgia, some of the loyalists or Tories are starting to move towards the Patriot side. Yeah. So Wright's position is becoming less and less popular as things intensify or heat up. So that's why he's arrested in 76. But he gets out of jail quickly, and he flees to England. The Provincial Congress, who's now in charge, forms what they call a Council of Safety. A Council of Safety serves as an executive committee, with the power of the executive branch of government we have today, such as to raise troops, to direct military activities, issue money, provide expenditures, those type of things, things we would normally associate with our executive branch of government. And keep in mind, the war is on at this point. Mm -hmm. So Georgia starts to join the revolution after it begins, the last of the colonies to actually get involved. Well, the Council of Safety was dissolved in 1777, after a state constitution was adopted in Georgia. So by then, Georgia's all in on the revolution. And the revolution itself is two years old at that point. Was was the arrest of John, of Governor Ryan, was that the last time we hear from him? Or? No, no, he, he comes back. Um, if you remember, the revolution was fought beginning April 1975, all the way up through 77, entirely in the north, from Pennsylvania, New York, and Boston. After France gets involved, starting with the campaign of 78, England decides to change the war strategy, and that's where the war goes south. Okay. So by December of 78, Savannah falls to the English. They easily take Savannah. So by that point, Governor Wright had been gone for a couple of years, and when the British retake Savannah, 
Governor Wright is brought back as the leader he of Georgia. He returns as the governor of Georgia. And if you remember, the Battle of Yorktown's not until October of 81, and the peace treaty's not signed until 83, September 83, the Treaty of Paris. The British hold Savannah for the rest of the war from 78 all the way through Yorktown, um, which is 81. So Governor Wright comes back for about three years and is governor of Georgia during the war. But once the British lose and give up the colonies, he goes back to England. Governor Wright goes back to England in July of 82 okay. and never returns. All right, so quickly to recap, Georgia's role in the revolution is they're the last of the 13 original colonies to be formed and they're the last of the original colonies to join the revolution. They were the last colony to stay loyal to England all the way up to the to the end. Okay. All right. Um, well, let's leave you with a little trivia question. Can you tell me the name of the three men who signed the Declaration of Independence from the state oh, of Georgia? You know, Georgia Studies, that, that, that was eighth grade. So we're going back in the way back machine here. Okay. But um, I know a little bit of my Georgia geography, and I know the counties. Oh, that definitely helps if so, you know your counties. Because before they were counties, they were actually people, living human beings who signed the Declaration of Independence. Okay, so... So which counties? Now, there's 159 counties, so you, there's only three of them. Okay, Button Gwinnett, that's one of them. Gwinnett County. Lyman Hall. Hall County. And George Walton. Walton County, there you go. So they're all kind of around Atlanta, too. Uh, Button Gwinnett, Lyman Hall, and George Walton are the three signers of the Declaration of Independence from... Georgia. State of Georgia. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little segment today and get to know Georgia a little a little deeper with Ezra and I. Um, Ezra, are you going to be able to come back again? You know I will. All right. Well, until then, we'll leave it at that and enjoy the rest of your cookies. You know I will. All right. Bye. We'll see you next time. Came upon some tracks too small for Andy to make 
Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss another episode. See you next time. I am Blaine Jaffe, the voice of the intro and exit for Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Thank you for listening.